and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Propsfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. Hey everybody, I'm doing an individual podcast today. It's been a while since I've done a solo episode. I've done a lot of guest episodes recently, and I have many more upcoming. So I encourage you to check out whatever topic interests you. I have some amazing guests. I've really enjoyed all of our conversations. And um, go ahead, if you haven't already, be sure to follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, as well as YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel that I'm trying to get up and running. So subscribe on YouTube as well as subscribe to this podcast. Um, It's available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. So I wanted to talk today uh, just a bit about what I've been thinking on recently, which is the topic of freedom and being free, which I think is so, obviously it's so important to be physically free, um, but mental freedom is really what I'm referring to here, being free from our own thoughts. And that's so much easier said than done. And sometimes in certain phases of our lives, it's easier said than done. Now, when I look up the definition of freedom, um, I see a couple definitions and I mean, obviously, again, in history, freedom is such an important topic, you know, in in the past and the present, as well as the future. Um, but we can kind of apply that to our own minds as well when we think about the definition of freedom. So I saw not under the control or in the power of another, that's one definition of freedom, um, or able to act or be done as one wishes, as well as the absence the absence of interference or impediment. So again, thinking of it in our thoughts form, how do we free ourselves from negative thoughts or negative emotions that can come up or, or really just kind of self-talk that's just not helpful? And I know that throughout the years, I've had a lot of that and that's why I've in, was inspired to write as well as do this podcast because I know I'm not alone in my journey of trying to have turn my mental highways into back roads of, of different ways to have my neurons travel. Um, you know, our brains studies show take the path of least resistance. So many times our our nerve cells. Um, so. We don't necessarily even in our minds want to do um, more work than is required if it's not necessary. Um, So like spending, your brain doesn't want to spend more energy if it doesn't have to. Um, So that's where, you know, this taking a back road, this neuroplasticity comes into place. Andrew Huberman in the Huberman lab, he talks about, Uh, neural friction, he terms it, where 
that's like where the point of neuroplasticity of brain growth occurs when, when it is more difficult. Um, so with these back roads that I'm trying to take, trying to free myself of my mental highways, I've done a lot of practice and it's just so similar to exercising. And I know I've said that a lot, but I feel like it just, I I could repeat it all day long of how the brain, in my opinion, is so much of a muscle. And I know studies show that as well, where if you practice using these smaller back roads or less traveled back roads, over time, the habits that you want to be obtaining as opposed to the, the negative habits that you may have, they, they will get stronger with time if you keep using it. And um, I compare it to when I was training, uh, I've done two half marathons and I'm hoping to do one this year. I uh, decided to sign up most recently for um, the Nashville half marathon in the spring. So stay tuned on that. But last year I did the Sedona half marathon and um, 12 years prior, I did a San Antonio half marathon. I like traveling for half marathons because I just love, I I love to travel. And so that kind of fills my cup with travel, but also like I really enjoy, you know, exercising and um, pushing my body. And it's so similar to my mental back roads that I try to take. Like some days are easier than others to not yell as much. Kind of like when I'm training um, for a half marathon, some days I can run easily a few miles and then other days I just can't. I'm just not feeling it. If that's maybe I didn't get enough sleep or whatever it might be. And I remember at the beginning, so like thinking back to when I started training, like I could not do much running, but then you know, little by little with baby steps, I could get more miles in. And that's again, so much part of how our brain works. I also think about back roads and highways in a mental sense, um, from when I experienced obsessive compulsive thoughts. Um, so I would think a lot of worst case scenarios and it was not like a, um, a process I could really control. Um, it would get worse when I was stressed or tired, but I would have these highways of thoughts that I I just didn't really know where they were coming from, to be honest. And they just kind of beseeched me sometimes. Like they just kept happening in my brain and I wanted to be free of them so much. I wanted to be free of all the noise and another um, time when I wanted to be free of my thoughts, or and I still do, um, is when I think about the past of, you know, um, just talk, um, you know, if there was criticism from others uh, growing up or even self-criticism, like those thoughts still can be in my mind. And I, if I allow them to, they can take over and trying to free myself from them. So, or even like with anxiety about the future, those can, you know, you can continue to ruminate on those thoughts and trying to free yourself from those. So something about me that you may have picked up on, or you soon will, is that I love history. I find it so fascinating and sometimes embarrassingly so if I go through a good 
old house. Like I will just kind of disappear from everyone and just soak myself up in the historical factor of it all. And I just think it's so interesting to learn what has happened before us. Now, Abraham Lincoln is a person in history that I've always identified with because I am from Illinois and, um, growing up in the Chicago area, he was there quite often. Um, and it was just so fascinating to me to learn that someone who had such significance in our country's history was frequently in the area that my childhood home was in. Uh, my parents, uh, their house was like on an old pioneer trail and the town close by to it, there's a document saying that Lincoln would come and stay with one of the people there. And with Abraham Lincoln, a lot of people know now, but maybe not all, but um, it's kind of widely accepted that he had depression and sometimes severe depression. So Abraham Lincoln, you know, had a very, um, we learned, um, you know, I don't know about in other states, but in Illinois, we learned much about Lincoln. And so he was born in Kentucky um, and then Indiana, then Illinois, more like the Southern Illinois area. Um, and his mom died uh, fairly young. He had multiple deaths uh, when he was younger and had a lot of trauma early on in his life. His mom died of milk sickness, which just a side note about milk sickness, it was really interesting to learn about uh, and just showing like the power of, of women and, um, just some figures that were really overlooked in history. Um, so milk sickness, I did not know much about, but apparently it terrorized according to the Smithsonian article, the um, Illinois, Indiana region in the early 1800s. And, you know, as people were moving out West, they were experiencing this kind of unknown but very scary condition where um, people would start throwing up and then shortly after would uh, develop a coma and, and die. And so obviously that was very scary. They did not know what was going on. Like some people thought it was like, you know, maybe was this witchcraft or um, some type of like supernatural thing. Is there, was there something in the earth, like vapors from the earth that were happening? Um, they just did not know. In fact, um, according to the Smithsonian article, the um, it was offered $2,000 at the time, which, you know, um, adjusted to today is $70,000, uh, reward essentially for an explanation of why milk sickness was happening. So again, Lincoln's mom is said to have died from this as, uh, in addition to many, many other settlers. Um, in the 1820s, they started to believe that it was from the cattle, the livestock, but they didn't know how. They knew that cattle were dying and um, shortly after consuming like milk or butter that then individuals would start having those symptoms. So they knew there was something, but they didn't know all the details. So a midwife who is just a fascinating woman, she's a midwife. She also studied um, nursing, dentistry, 
uh, her name was Dr. Anna Bixby, and she had a few family members die as well from milk sickness, and she made it her mission to find out what was going on. She noted that the that this was occurring in seasonal times, so like um, it wouldn't occur certain times of the year, but it would in other times. So she actually tried to follow the cows to see like where it is that they're going during certain times of the year. And she would also tell people like, you know, during don't eat butter or milk, don't consume it until the frost kills off whatever it is. So one day she was in the woods and met a elder Shawnee, uh, Native American woman. And um, she was apparently, according to the Smithsonian article, um, hiding in the forest to um, to hide from the forced migration of the Native Americans to Kansas. And so Anna uh, decided to give her food, take her in, and started talking with this woman about this milk sickness. And the Native American woman immediately said that I know what this plant is. And she showed her and it, it is a white snake root plant. And it was a small uh, perennial flower that um, essentially was the cause for milk sickness. And it wasn't really talked about until like decades later and not until the 1920s was it officially talked about in um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture published a chemical analysis, but they didn't even reference these individuals that first came up with it. It wasn't until the 1960s, and it's just uh, that it was finally kind of talked about of how this all came about. So that was just an interesting, you know, little side note in itself. But back to Abraham Lincoln, like he he suffered much trauma in his um, you know, childhood, young adult life, and many historians say he had depression. In fact, people would say that he dripped melancholy. And it was often discussed, like uh, on January 23rd, 1841, for example, he wrote to a colleague, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. As he fought for this country and freedom from slavery, it appears he was at times enslaved to his thoughts and not really free from his thoughts. And it just, uh, like in another reference says, from the Republican Convention of 1860. The crowd cheered for him. They enthusiastically approved of Lincoln. However, William J. Bross was the observer of Lincoln the next day after this convention. He saw him alone with his hands against his face. And Lincoln stated, I'm not very well. Now, it's just, um, again, like, I find it incredibly inspiring that Lincoln kept moving forward, though. Like, despite all of his melancholy, melancholy, 
all of that depression, he had a goal that he was called to do great things. And that gave him not only conviction, but also uh, humility. And one time I was staying in a Mississippi River town that had one of Lincoln's conventions. And so I learned a lot about his, um, of that particular convention when he was running for presidency. And it was just, it was the same time of year. It was in, I believe it was October, like the fall. Um, And I was reading all the plaques and it was saying that when Lincoln came to the town to debate uh, for this campaign that he was tired and exhausted and just wanted to throw in the towel. Um, he, uh, Douglas, who was the, the person he was debating at the time, um, on the other hand, came to the town in a private coach and was welcomed with pomp and circumstance. So like, it was almost like Lincoln could have easily been discouraged by that, right? Um, and this was uh, the Mississippi River. Like there was, um, you know, Missouri was right there. It was a um, a state that was um, like fugitives, slave fugitives were coming over. Um, and actually where the debate occurred, I learned there was a underground railroad uh, building right there. So just imagining, you know, these these two people debating over slavery, being a slave, a runaway slave, and staying, you know, in this house, hearing Lincoln amongst, you know, the fall foliage and, and it getting cooler out and feeling all that. And gosh, it just, you know, it's eerie to think about those things. And um, but you know, there was a lot. Like I tried to read the debate. It was like very long, but like it, it was all the points Lincoln was making, um, where it was just um you know, at the end of it is what are we doing here? We're doing the neck, we're doing the right thing. We're doing, we're debating for the right thing for freedom. And, um, the crowds, so many people supported him despite like all the pomp and circumstance of Douglas, like that he, the crowds really supported Lincoln. Um, and I just, gosh, I could imagine again, you know, um, sitting in an underground, in one of those underground railroad houses, like, just listening to that. Um, so to be free, again, you know, we talk a lot about the physical part. All living things want freedom. And what is freedom? Like eagle soaring, you know, humans continue to evolve and freedom is an essential part of our well-being. And I feel like, you know, now we have to also um, include the freedom of our thoughts as well into that equation, you know, in addition, which physical freedom obviously is important. Um, so I don't want to you know, underplay that or say that that's not a, you know, a major thing, but also get the conversation going of how do we free ourselves from our thoughts? You know, with Abraham Lincoln, for example, um, he wasn't able to free himself from his thoughts. And um, he continued to have depression. I believe Mary Todd Lincoln, his wife also did. Um, you know, she's an interesting person to read up on as well. And Lincoln did have major depression and thoughts of hurting himself from time to time. And so I just want to make sure that 
my listeners are aware that if you have any you know, thoughts of hurting yourself or anything like that, that there is a, uh, the suicide crisis hotline, 988. Uh, you can call or text 24 hours a day, English or Spanish. Also, you know, reach out to your healthcare provider. Obviously, um, you know, there's emergency department. There's these resources available uh, that, you know, during Lincoln's time, he did not have. And I also wonder how Lincoln would be if he did have someone to talk to. Like if, if he had like a, a counselor or a therapist or, or just some, some resources available. And that's why I'm so passionate about mental health because I feel like we all want to be free. You know, obviously, again, physical freedom, but as well as mental freedom. And sometimes... Uh, seeking that outside help, that is what can allow us to be free to do what we were meant to do in this world. You know, I think that it wasn't until later in my 30s that I felt a glimmer of freedom from my thoughts. Um, they were always besieging me in some way or another, either from you know um, worry or negative self-talk or just anything. And to find my inner voice, my inner child has given me such freedom. And I feel like that is just so important for all humans to have that freedom. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do for moms and um, with my writing and with this podcast. And so I also want to talk about, well, I think this was the last thing I wanted to mention, a really interesting excerpt from a book that I read. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. And she talks about freedom, essentially. So let me read this passage. Wendell, my therapist, finally speaks up. I am reminded, he begins of a famous cartoon. It's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out, but to his right and left, it's open, no bars. He pauses, allows the image to sink in. All the prisoner has to do is walk around, but still he frantically shakes the bars. That's most of us. We feel completely stuck, trapped in our emotional cells, but there's a way out as long as we're willing to see it. He lets that last part linger between us, as long as we're willing to see it. He gestures to an imaginary prison cell with his hand, inviting me to see it. I look away, but I feel Wendell's eyes on me. I sigh, okay. I close my eyes and take a breath. I start by picturing the prison, a tiny cell with drab beige walls. I picture the metal bars, thick, gray, and rusty. I picture myself in an orange jumpsuit, furiously shaking those bars, pleading for release. I imagine screaming, get me out of here, save me. I envision myself frantically looking to my right, then to my left, then doing one hell of a double take. I notice my whole body respond. I feel lighter, like a thousand pound weight has been lifted as the realization hits me. You are your own jailer. I open my eyes and glance at Wendell. Keep looking, he whispers. I close my eyes again. Now I'm walking around the bars and heading toward the exit, moving tentatively at first, but as I get closer to it, I start to run. Outside, I can feel my feet on the ground, the breeze on my skin, the sun's warmth on my face. I'm free. I run as fast as I can. Then after a while, I slow down and check behind me. 
No prison guards are giving chase. It occurs to me that there was no prison guards to begin with. So again, that passage is from Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. So it's such a great book. I encourage you to read that one. Um, so that's pretty much it for today. I want to thank you again for listening and tuning in. And it's so nice to talk with you guys one-on-one. In addition to all my guests, I've been having so much fun and I hope you as a listener have been joining along and please let me know if you have any comments or if you want to uh, reach out, please feel free to send me an email. And again, follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, subscribe to my channel as well as to this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, y'all. And I hope you have a wonderful day.